Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. We're in this series, Good News, because we really could all use some good news. I mean, after the last couple of years, many of us would like uh, peace politically. We'd love for the supply chain issues to be resolved, inflation to drop. We love good news is. And uh, I wish I could tell you that all that stuff's going to happen, but I think the last couple of years could pretty confidently, you know, clearly tell us it's probably not going to happen, at least not quickly. But I do want to tell you this, there is good news. There is really good news, and this good news trumps all the other good news is. And Paul put it this way when he opened his letter to the Romans. This is Romans 1:16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news, because it brings the power of God, or, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew and then the Gentile. We've been learning about this good news, this good news that's better than all the other possible good newses. And in learning about it, what we've seen is that we need this good news. We need this good news more than any other good news because our sin, all those times where we we knew the right thing to do, but we chose to do the opposite. Our sin doesn't just hurt us, doesn't just hurt others. It actually separates us from God. But the good news, the gospel is that Jesus stands in the gap. He paid the price for our sin so we can have a relationship with God once again. And he's offering us new life. Now, what is this new life? Like, how do we go about living this way? I mean, we've received his forgiveness. So do we just like keep on sinning? When, when we mess up, do we just play our Jesus get out of jail free card? Like, what does this mean for us? Paul had very strong language around this matter. Heck no, we do not do that. And he used stronger language than that. That is not the life we're called to. We're saved from a life of sin, but we're also saved for something better. And today we're going to talk about what that is. So if you've got a Bible, open with me to Romans chapter 6 to see this new life that Jesus is offering us. Now, in this passage, we're going to see two fundamental shifts that take place for a follower of Jesus. And having experienced these shifts personally, my prayer is that you will experience these shifts too. Because they're not just personal, they're transformational. And Jesus is the one who makes it all possible. So as we dive in and we look at these two shifts that Paul highlights, would you first bow your heads and pray with me and ask that God would speak to us in this time. Lord, we come before you. We come before you expectant. We come before you eager to hear from you. So would you please speak now through your word? Would you speak through your spirit moving through me and moving in the hearts of all of us as we listen? And Jesus, would you be glorified today? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Paul revealed the first shift as follows in Romans 6. This is going to be verses 1 through 11. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. A translation that would better capture the emotion Paul was using here would actually be hell no. doesn't feel very Christian though, so here we have by no means. 
We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For we have been united with him in a death like his. We will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So when it comes to this new life that Paul's presenting to us, that Jesus makes possible, the first shift Paul highlights is this, from dead to alive. And Paul looks to baptism as the symbol of this. It's a physical symbol of a spiritual reality. And he's saying, look, like when you enter the watery grave, it's as if you're being buried with Christ. But we don't stay under the water because Jesus didn't stay in the grave. He victoriously rose from the dead. Our hope is resurrection hope. So when we go under, we don't stay under. We come out washed anew by God's grace. You know, when, when people ask me, why, should I get baptized? Why do I need to get baptized? You know what I do? I often will bring people right here to Romans 6. Because as we just read, Paul makes it very clear. Baptism is a significant step of faith because it symbolizes the spiritual reality of the gospel. That we are no longer living a life of sin. We died to that. And Jesus' death paid for that. No, we get to live a new life in Christ. That's what baptism symbolizes. And that's why it's right there at the beginning where when we're following Jesus, that's the step we should take. Jesus himself was baptized, and he expected his followers to be baptized too, because nothing symbolizes the life that we have with him like baptism does. It's this physical representation of something that's happening inside of us because of Jesus. We don't have someone yet today who said, hey, I want to get baptized, but this thing, this thing's filled with water. It's ready to go. And I'm just going to put it before you up front. Could today be the day that you follow Jesus in this significant way? Because he expected it. He called his followers to make followers of him by, well, let's just read it together. This is Matthew chapter 28. Right before Jesus ascends to heaven, he has one final word for his followers. And here's what he had to say to them. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, call them crazy, but the, the, the 11 guys who were right there with him took Jesus seriously. And we should too. You see, what happened uh, just days later, Jesus 
uh, has ascended to heaven. The, the disciples are praying. They're kind of like, okay, what does this look like? Like, how do we go and make disciples? We're supposed to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Well, the Holy Spirit shows up. And they, are, they all start talking in different languages. And it doesn't really make sense to those in Jerusalem who are there. But then Peter gets up. And to those gathered in Jerusalem, they were there to celebrate Pentecost, a regular festival that Jews would come to Jerusalem to celebrate. He's there and he preaches the gospel in a way that he never had before. And, well, let's just read what happened next. Now in Acts 2, 37 and following, it says this, the people, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? This is in response to the gospel. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Can you, can you imagine being there? 3,000 people hear the gospel, and immediately, without delay, they respond just as Jesus taught his followers to teach. They repent, and they're baptized. It had to have been an absolute party. Now, we don't have 3,000 people here today. Maybe, maybe one day, but not today. And that's okay, because everyone matters. Even my four-year-old daughter gets this. We'll, and she gets it better than maybe Amanda and I would like. You see, we'll be on our way out the door, needing to go somewhere. And it is at that moment where Hannah realizes, I don't have my favorite hair clip. So, Amanda and I look at each other, panic in our eyes, we've got to go, but Hannah makes it very clear. There is, there's no doubt about it, we must find this hair clip. So, we go upstairs, we look in our room, we go downstairs to the playroom, we look in the living room, sometimes we'll even go to the basement or even out to the car. Where is the hair clip? Because we can't go anywhere until we find that hair clip. Hannah gets it, everyone matters. And even more than a hair clip, everyone matters to God. Jesus illustrated it this way in a parable that he shared in Luke 15. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Friends, the reality is that heaven throws a party every time someone repents and receives Jesus. That's what scripture tells us. And I gotta be honest with you, I hope that we get to party with heaven today. I've been praying for it all week long, that the Holy Spirit would move in someone and spur them to be obedient, to follow Jesus in this way by getting baptized. Now, just to be clear, baptism doesn't save us. 
Jesus saves us. We're saved by God's grace through our faith in Jesus. And yet, baptism is a significant step because it's how we publicly declare that we have faith in Jesus. We're with him. We're followers of him. We're following him above anyone else, anything else. He is the Lord of our life. Now, uh, before I was born, my parents grew up Catholic, very devout Catholics, went to Catholic church, went to Catholic school. And when I was born, my parents wanted me to know Jesus. So they did what they knew, uh, the best they knew. And it was, they had me baptized, okay, as a baby. I didn't get to choose it. They just did it. They were saying, hey, we hope that one day Chris will know Jesus. Now, what my parents and I know now is that that's not what Scripture teaches. What Scripture actually teaches is that baptism is connected with a personal decision to follow Jesus because it, it's the symbol that represents that spiritual connection, that spiritual reality, the relationship that we now have with God through Jesus. And that's why when I was 14 years old, I decided to get baptized. Our family was going to a church plant at the time. It met in a hotel ballroom. So I got baptized in a hotel pool when I was 14 years old. And faith was no longer my parents' thing. You see, following Jesus was now my everything. For me, it was a hotel pool. If you talk to Tyler, who's also on our team, for him it was a pool at an RV park. For you, could it be a horse trough at a rec center? I mean, pr praise God, it is not the physical location, but the spiritual step that's significant. Baptism is a significant step because it symbolizes this first shift for a follower of Jesus from dead to alive. Now, because we're, we're dead to our sin, we don't keep on sinning. We don't, we don't live that way deliberately. Paul expounded on this in verse 12 and following of Romans chapter 6. He says this, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law, but under grace. You see, we don't keep on sinning because sin is no longer our master. Jesus has freed us from our sin. No longer are we unrighteous. Jesus makes us righteous, so we should live like it. And this is the second shift it's one, of those, it's one of those words you got to be really careful in saying. The second shift as we follow Jesus is this, from enslaved to sin to free to follow. Paul fleshed it out as follows. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. You know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that uh, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have, become, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. 
You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. He says, I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity, to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now, now that you have been set free from the sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now in these nine verses, I read them all at once because I wanted you to hear that repetition. Paul actually said the word slaves nine times, nine times in nine verses. Now when we think of slavery, what we think of is slavery is oppression and freedom is just the absence of all constraint. But that's not how they understood these terms back then. Back then, slavery was much more common. I'm not saying it's right, I'm just saying it's more common. And one could actually become a slave for something as simple as an unpaid debt. Now, a slave could actually be transferred from one master to another, but it had to be done at the consent of the slave. A little different from how we might view slavery today. Now, even if someone wasn't a slave back then, everyone was obedient to someone, a slave to a master, a citizen to the emperor, Everyone was a servant of someone else. And why this matters? Now that we understand all this historical context, why does that matter? Well, Paul is saying that sin is no longer our master. But just because sin's not our master doesn't mean we have no master. Forgiveness from sin is not permission to sin. Freedom from sin is not freedom to do whatever we want. No, Paul says we're slaves to righteousness. We're, we're servants of God. We're supposed to follow him with our lives. We're freed from sin to follow God. And, and Paul put it this way. It's actually the only imperative, the only like instruction for living, the only call to action Paul gives in this passage is here at the end of verse 19, where he says, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. What Paul described here is what theologians uh, talk about as sanctification. Okay, it's not a term you hear a lot, but it is a term that you'll you'll hear, you'll come across if you're reading a, a theological book or something like that. And it, it's this really meaningful term because it describes it's the process of being made holy. That's what sanctification is: the process of being made holy. And what we have to understand is that when we receive Jesus instantaneously, God looks at us and He no longer sees our sin. You know what he sees? He sees Jesus standing in our place because Jesus is our righteousness. And when we receive Jesus, we're promised that he's going to give us his Holy Spirit. What's the, what's the job of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit takes that spiritual reality and it makes it our practical reality. You see, the idea with sanctification is that when, when the Holy Spirit's working in us, we are, we're freed from all those sins that have been holding us back. And, and when the world looks at us, the world's no longer going to see our sin. The world's going to start to see Jesus 
in us. Now, if you've been following Jesus for any length of time, you know how hard this work of sanctification is. Because lust doesn't just vanish. Greed doesn't just simply go away. The anxiety that keeps us up at night, sometimes it still rears its ugly head. And we're going to, it's such a a, a real tension, a real uh, just thing to work through as followers of Jesus that we're actually next week going to spend the whole time talking about what this looks like. Because that's what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7. But for today, I want you to be encouraged by who we're becoming by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So I'm just going to read something else that Paul wrote. This to the church in Galatia. This is Galatians 5, all right? I'm just going to read a couple verses. They might sound familiar or they might not. Either way, this is who we become by the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Listen to this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have been, have crucified, excuse me, let's try that again. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Once we've surrendered to Jesus, once we've been baptized, we've told the world, hey, look, I'm a follower of him. What's next? Keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. That's what it looks like. It's a a daily process. It's a moment-by-moment journey. And as the Spirit works in us, we start to look less and less like our sinful selves and more and more like our Savior. And when others see Jesus working in us, they're going to want to know Him too. But know this, this, this work of sanctification. Just like salvation is not by our own effort, sanctification isn't by our effort either. We have a part to play, but we are saved by God's grace, and we are also sanctified by His grace through the work of His Spirit in us. Paul reminds us in verse 22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. No longer are we enslaved to sin. Now we're following God with our lives, and by His power, by His Spirit working in us, we become more and more like Jesus. And when when the world sees Jesus in us, they're going to want to know Him too. I think of a friend of mine, a good friend of mine. His name's Keenan. And I met Keenan uh, with Amanda several years ago. We were living in Maine at the time. We had a group that met at our house, and Keenan and his wife, Ashley, joined our group. At the time, Keenan was crushing it in the construction industry. He was climbing the ladder, but with each rung, he found he was losing his soul. And his marriage was struggling too. But he started to read his Bible. He started to talk about it with those in our group. And together, we're growing in faith. And on uh, September 30th of 2018, I got to baptize Kenan in Casco Bay. It's this bay in the Portland area. I'll just let you know, it was very cold the end of September, but it was worth it. It was so worth it. And when we got out of the water, I prayed for him and Ashley. And then I pulled Kenan aside and I told him, I said, man, I don't, I don't do this often. I don't know if I've done this ever 
But as I was baptizing you, I felt like God's going to call you to, to full-time vocational ministry at some point. I just wanted to share that with you. If you fast forward eight months, I hired Kenan. In a way, he kind of replaced me at the church that sent us out here. And I got a text from my mom this morning that Kenan is being ordained as a pastor today. How cool is that? You know how many lives are going to be touched through his ministry because the gospel took root in his heart? Countless lives. I can't wait to get to heaven and celebrate with him of all the people that now know Jesus because Kenan knows Jesus. Paul beautifully sums up the gospel because the gospel changes everything. And he summed up the gospel this way in verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There are very few verses in scripture that summarize the gospel as succinctly and beautifully as this one. That's why it's often quoted. I would even encourage you, it's a good one to memorize. We deserve death, but Jesus stood in our place. He lets us have a relationship with God. He invites us to experience eternal life, life that starts now, new life that starts now, and it will continue for all eternity with him. We're, we're saved from sin. We're saved for a purpose. And Jesus is the one who makes it all possible. You see, the bottom line of Romans 6 is this. Let the life you've been given shape the life you're living. Here's what that would look like practically. Believe and be baptized. Say no to sin and yes to God. Walk in grace, not guilt. And, and four, don't pay the wage, receive the gift. I, I want to say that summary line one more time because let it sink in like this is personal. This can be and should be transformational because this is what we're invited to experience in the gospel. Let the life you've been given shape the life you're living. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for the gospel. Thank you that we can know you because of Jesus. Thank you for the way you've changed my life. Thank you for the way you've changed Kenan's life. Thank you for the way you're working in all of our lives. And Lord, we are all at a different spot along this spiritual journey. But we want to know you more. And Lord, I, as someone who knows you, I pray in faith with everything I got that, that we would see more people who, who don't know you come to know you. Would your spirit work in people's hearts towards that? And would you reveal Jesus to us in a new way, in a fresh way? And would you change our lives so that when we live our lives at home, when we work in our offices and engage with people in the community, people don't just experience us in our brokenness, but they actually experience you working through us. They start to see you, Jesus, and they want to know you too. We ask this in your name. Amen.